Come thou long expected Jesus. Come and reveal yourself to us today by the power of your spirit. Fill these words with your living word. Fill them with Christ so we may hear and see him anew. Amen. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. These words from the seventh chapter of Isaiah are likely familiar to you, but even if they aren't, you can probably connect the dots from here to Christmas, to pregnant Mary giving birth to baby Jesus. Generally throughout Christian history, your average believer has taken these Old Testament words as an obvious prediction of the birth of Jesus Christ. If you paid attention to our text, however, you'll realize that things aren't quite so clear-cut when it comes to this passage. At least there isn't an obvious straight line from here to the New Testament anyway. Because here in Isaiah, these words weren't originally intended to point us to Jesus. They were intended for, uh, by Isaiah to be a sign a proof to a stubborn and skeptical king named Ahaz, or Ahaz, whichever you'd like to, way you'd like to say it. So the, by the time our passage begins, Ahaz found himself in a bit of a pickle, to put it mildly. Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah from around 710 to 735 BC. Actually, that should be switched around because, you know, it gets, anyway. Around this time, the Assyrian Empire rose as a juggernaut, gobbling up people, resources, and territories around the Middle East, and threatened to take down Judah and a whole bunch of other tiny countries around it. And about a century earlier, before Ahaz, a ragtag coalition of these little countries managed to band together and successfully hold the Assyrians at bay. But now, Assyria was at it again. And a couple of the countries, Syria, also known as Damascus, and the northern kingdom of Israel wanted to get the band back together and pull off another miracle defense of their countries. But this time, Ahaz wanted nothing to do with it. It was risky enough living in Assyria's shadow without actively calling on their wrath by joining an alliance. So Ahaz kept Judah out of it, trying to keep as neutral as Switzerland, lest they become the next imperial target. Funny thing, though, as soon as Ahaz declared his country's non-alignment, Syria and Israel immediately turned on him instead. They turned on him and they invaded with the intent of regime change, tossing him out off the throne and installing a puppet who would join in against the Assyrian onslaught. It's kind of like being a kid, you know, and your friends want, are trying to get you to help them gang up on the school bully, finally defeat him for good, but you chicken out, right? So they decide to beat you up 
instead. That's the way it was going for Ahaz. It was not very rosy for Ahaz or the kingdom of Judah at all. Things weren't good for the kingdom of Judah. They were surrounded on all sides. Ahaz's back was up against the wall. So he was down to two options. Option number one, which should be on the screen. There we go. Option number one would be to call in the cavalry. Ahaz could beg their great idolatrous enemy, the Assyrian army, that gang of vicious political gangsters, for aid. He could call them in, knowing, of course, that gangsters will always want to run your shop, eventually, in return for protection. But then, of course, there was option two. Option two was to trust solely in Yahweh, the God of Israel, to protect him and his kingdom. After all, Ahaz was a member of the royal house of David, and God promised David that his house would last forever, and the capital city of Jerusalem would always remain safe. This was a promise made to his forebearers in faith. So here we have Ahaz oscillating, going back and forth between two different options, option one and option two. Option one, go with the Assyrians, or option two, go with God. And this is where Isaiah, the prophet, steps in. Isaiah's been trying to convince Ahaz that he could rely on God's promise. If you go with God, Isaiah tells him, you'll leave these two invading armies in the ash heap. But if you trust the Assyrians over God, then you're done for. That's it. That's the end for you. If you do not stand firm in faith, Isaiah says, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Now, no doubt, no doubt at this point, Isaiah can see the fear in Ahaz's eyes. Ahaz needs some kind of reassurance. So Isaiah says that God will give him a sign, a proof, something that he can rely on to know that the promise is true. And here's where that famous text I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon finally comes in. Therefore, says Isaiah, therefore the Lord God will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. There will be a baby, baby born somewhere in Judea, and his parent will name him Emmanuel. We're not sure who the mother will be. I mean, scholars debate whether it'll be Isaiah's wife or the wife of the king, or somebody completely different. But this child, Isaiah says, will serve as a sign, as a hint from God. One that signals to you that if you refuse Assyria's help, and if you cling to God's promise of protection, you and your kingdom will be saved and rescued from destruction. You'll be rescued from destruction. If you do not stand firm in faith, Isaiah said, you will not stand at all. And now, sadly, Ahaz ended up choosing the Assyrian option. 
And history really did play out against him eventually. I mean, he's thought of as one of the most wicked kings in the Old Testament. Ironically, though, the most ironic part of the story is that eventually after he called on Assyrian help, they just decided to come in and invade him anyway. And you could tell probably at this point, Isaiah couldn't help but say something to Ahaz like, I told you so? I heard that. Yeah, you got it. Sermons are so predictable. But can we blame Ahaz? Can we blame him for this choice? Really, the choice seems obvious, doesn't it? Option one, trade everything you stand for and call in a favor from the world's largest superpower for the sake of your own preservation, a promise backed by might and weapons and armies, or option two, trust God. A promise with no guarantee of any kind except for the birth of some baby. I mean, you know, the call comes to the Pentagon one day and they don't think back and forth between, oh, I'll, uh, I think we'll choose uh, God. No, military might, right? So how can we blame the guy, really? You can't base foreign policy decisions on some sort of secondhand spiritual mumbo jumbo. He needed help now. He needed power, control. He needed an army. What help could the birth of some special baby do for somebody like Ahaz? What could the delivery of some newborn have to do with real-world immediate problems? Better to hedge your bets and go with the devil you know pretty much every time. Now, I mentioned earlier that this text, this promise of a woman with child who would give birth to a baby boy named Emmanuel was taken as a direct prediction of the birth of Jesus. And now, as we sort of got into the text, you can sort of see it's not exactly the case, at least not directly, but you can understand why the early Christians heard echoes of the birth of Jesus here. After all, the story we read every Christmas is about God giving a sign in the form of a newborn baby. To you, says the Gospel of Luke, that we read every Christmas Eve, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This will be a sign for you. Just as in the case of Ahaz in the days of Isaiah, Luke's gospel presents us with a sign from the divine in the form of a child. As Isaiah's was a sign of salvation, so is Luke's the coming of a savior. But where Isaiah's was a sign of salvation, of rescue for Ahaz, his people, and the city of Jerusalem once long ago, Luke has his sights set higher. For Luke, this baby is a sign, a hint from God, 
signaling not only the salvation of a king, a people, a city from oppressors, but one pointing to and bearing the salvation, the healing, the liberation of all the world. And like Isaiah, Luke tells us that it's available to us simply by trusting the promise, simply by living our lives according to that promise and by clinging it to it for dear life. If you don't stand on faith, you will not stand at all. But the truth is, like Ahaz, we find it too hard to believe that the birth of one baby could have such significance, could have such meaning, could have such import for our lives. In a world filled with problems like ours, who could blame us, really? We're surrounded like Ahaz on all sides in a world of mass migrations and refugee crises, of poverty, of famine, perpetual war, and environmental destruction. And in our personal lives, we are crippled by debt, scarred by addictions, and wounded by broken relationships and broken families. So what's the use of a baby born 2,000 years ago with the problems we've got? What's the use of a baby born 2,000 years ago compared to the power of scientific advancement? What's the use of an ancient newborn put side by side with the wonders of technological progress? What good's a sign like this for people with us with real world struggles and real problems when weapons, when power, when money, and physical stuff are the things that seem to actually get things done? They're the things that seem to work. In a world like ours, what good is a baby? What good is God? We'll take option one, the Assyrian option, the strength option, any day of the week. At least I do. At least I do. And yet, here we are yet again. Another Sunday at church. Another Christmas around the corner. Even though we find these promises hard to believe, the miracle is that somehow we're still here. Somehow we showed up again today. Somehow we're drawn to this ancient story yet again. And I'm willing to wager that we're here because deep down inside we know that the story the world lives by simply isn't true. Option number one, the Assyrian option, has failed. It failed then and it fails now. Our dissatisfaction with the way things are aren't simply a problem with us. The story of strength has failed to bring peace among nations. It's failed to bring us happiness at home. It's failed to bring us salvation anywhere. And certainly we continue like Ahaz to cling to the story out of fear 
We put our trust in politics, in career, in technology. We gobble up money, drugs, or anything else that promises us life. All the while avoiding the lesser beaten path of generosity, vulnerability, peacemaking, and true forgiveness. Because that's just not the way to run a world. It's no way to get ahead or to save our necks. But we're here today because deep down inside, we long for option number two, the God option to be true. We long for a different way. We long for another world to be born. We long for a salvation that has not yet fully come, to touch down in our lives and bring healing in its wings. Even though we believe it's too good to be true, we long for it to be so with every fiber, every single fiber of our being, and that's why we keep showing up. That's why we keep showing up. Because we long deeply inside ourselves for the story of the gospel to be true. Even though we have so much, time, so much, even though we have so much trouble actually believing that it's so. And so, now seeing as how you're all here today in one place, seeing as how you're all here again or for the first time, I would hate to disappoint you by ending the sermon there. I am here to deliver you again that ancient promise that the Lord himself, the creator of heaven and earth, has given you a sign. A sign that the longing that you have isn't just a figment of your imagination. It isn't just wishful thinking. It isn't simply an evolutionary adaptation to keep the species moving along. But that the child Mary brought to term long ago is a hint is a signal, is a sign of our salvation, of all things made new. The one wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger is a sign straight from the source and the heart of things, from underneath the ground of all being. A sign that bearing good news of great joy, that this longing we carry in us is real. And it's true. And it's not only real and it's not only true, it's Emmanuel, God with us, coming to term in our lives. Salvation we can experience here in the flesh, the future who is waiting to be born right now in us to heal our world of suffering and pain. The joy and peace we all long for is already given if only we're ready to believe it's so, if only we're willing to cling in trust, if we're able to risk it all on option two, the God option, and to pin all our hopes on the baby in the manger. So, friends, brothers and sisters, this may be yet another Sunday, yet another fourth Sunday in Advent, another holiday season where we gather yet again with our doubts and our longings, all of our confusion and our stress. 
But may it also be the day where the good news of great joy for all people finally settles into our hearts for good. May our deepest longings be transformed into the life-saving conviction that there is not only a God, but that in Christ we have been given the gift of God with us. And that with God with us, we are not left only with option one, the Assyrian option. We are not enslaved to the way of fear and grasping and control, but that in Christ we are freed to become people of option number two. People of the God option. We have been freed to live lives of generosity, forgiveness, humility, and peace, knowing the world we long for is already on the way. So people get ready. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son. And she shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. May every heart prepare him room. Amen.